0: So 1 Corinthians 12, starting at the end of the chapter, through to 13, verse 13. should be on the screen behind me, but you're welcome to follow it on your app or in your Bible. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain: faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love.
1: Thanks, Michael. I've a bit of an admission to make. I. Um <clears throat> had a rather busy week. Was a bit tight on my preparation, but uh, good news is I found this great app. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, <clears throat> friends. Two weeks ago, we began our uh, "One Body, Everybody" series by uh, by looking then at how we are the body of Christ. All true believers, saved by faith in Jesus alone, are automatically included as valuable and necessary parts of God's beautiful church. And then last week, Reuben looked at how within the body of Christ, we've all received these amazing spiritual gifts. And the Lord calls us to utilise these vital abilities for his sake, reaching the lost and building each other up in faith. But today, what we want to do is we want to take a look behind the scenes and think about the attitude that lies beneath all of this. What's the manner in which we are using our spiritual gifts in the body of Christ? What's the motivation that drives our efforts to serve the Lord? Or to put it in practical terms, what we want to think about this morning is this. Why exactly do I teach Sunday school? Or why do I lead a growth group? Why do I participate in mainly music or serve on the missions team or give money to support ministries and missionaries? Why do I help out on the meal train or the welcoming team or the music team or snag chat in the mall? Why exactly do I share the gospel with my neighbor? or seek to help that needy person, or want to visit the sick and the lonely. We could assume that all these things are always done with the purest of motives, and we certainly want to portray that about ourselves, don't we? But you and I both know that when we look deep in our own hearts, we soon realize that that isn't always true. For friends, it's possible to serve the Lord, because that's what we've always done. It's our tradition, our duty, our hobby, even our job. Isn't it possible to serve the Lord because, well, if we don't, then no one else will do it. We say, try others first, and if you can't find anyone, well, then I guess it's up to me. Isn't it possible to serve the Lord because we want to meet the expectations of others, whether they are our parents, our spouse, our friends, our leaders? Friends, isn't it possible to serve the Lord because it relieves our feelings of guilt? We think God will accept us so long as we do enough and meet some kind of standard. Isn't it possible to serve the Lord because, well, because if we commit to a comfortable task, well, then we'll have a good excuse to say no to everything else. Isn't it possible to serve the Lord because we feel that we're going to get something out of it for ourselves, some kind of satisfaction or friendships or return favours and so on? Friends, isn't it possible to serve the Lord because that way we can run things properly, the way we want to, and thus we can satisfy our desire for power and control. And friends, isn't it possible to serve the Lord because we long to be seen and admired, to feel important, to receive praise and encouragement and attention? You know, I guess the church could operate quite efficiently with these things as their basis and I'm sure there are churches that do. But I ask you this morning, is it good? Is it right? Is it best? Well, having just spoken in detail about using spiritual gifts in the body of Christ, the Apostle Paul says something very important in the last words of chapter 12. Of 1 Corinthians. He says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Paul knew that people can have lesser motives for serving. He knew that he himself could have lesser motives for serving. He knew that we here at Riverbank could have lesser motives for serving. And so he shows us instead the most excellent way. And that way, my friends, can be summed up in one word, love. Love is the reason that should lie behind all that we do. Love is the manner in which we should speak and serve and minister. Love is the motivation that should drive us to seek each other's spiritual good. But unfortunately, the English language forces us to define that more carefully. For in English, this word love can mean so many different things. It can mean something very flippant. I love your shoes. It can mean something very passive. I love you, for I have nice feelings about you, but don't expect me to do anything for you. It can mean something very conditional, I love you so long as I find you attractive and lovable. It can mean something very selfish, I love you but only if you satisfy my needs and my desires. And it can also mean something very temporary. I love you for now but well, later, I may not love you anymore. These worldly ideas are unhelpful as we're trying to understand this biblical concept of love. For we need to know what Paul really means here in this passage. And so I'd like to share with you an excellent definition from Christian author Sam Storms. He says that in the Bible, love is a deep affection for a delight in and a commitment to act for the welfare of another without regard for their loveliness that often comes at great sacrifice to oneself. Or again, love is the overflow of our delight in God that joyfully cherishes and seeks the best interests of another regardless of the cost to oneself. That, my friends, is the love that should motivate us to serve the Lord. And in our passage today, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul has three important lessons about what that really means. And the first of those is the absolute supremacy of love. Listen to what Paul writes in verses 1 to 3. He says, "'If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels,' What's Paul saying here? Well, he's referring back to some of those spiritual gifts from the previous chapter. And he says, just imagine if I had some of those gifts. Imagine if I could speak in tongues, spreading the gospel in different languages. Imagine if I had the gift of prophecy, declaring God's message to convict the lost and to edify the saved. And if I had a strong faith, encouraging others in their walk with the Lord. Imagine if I gave money to the poor, helping those less fortunate, and if I endured hardship and suffered for the kingdom. But he says more than that. He says, imagine if I had those spiritual gifts to their absolute fullest extent, more than anybody else. What if I didn't just speak in tongues, but in all the tongues of men and even angels? And didn't just prophesy, but did so, fathoming all mysteries and all knowledge. And not just have faith, my friends, but a faith that can move mountains. And not just giving to the poor, but giving all that he possessed. And not just suffering hardship, but suffering so much that he'd have every right to boast. Wow, what an amazing person he would be. What, a, what an awesome example. What a, what a blessing he would be to the church. But Paul says what if I did all of that serving God more than anybody else but yet I did not have love. Well the more pragmatic among us may say well so what? Why does it matter? So long as the message and the ministry and the money is good and the results are positive, well who cares about the attitude? Well Paul tells us God cares. He says, if I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, a useless, meaningless noise. If I don't have love, I'm nothing, of no value whatsoever. If I don't have love, I gain nothing. It would all be a waste of time. And notice that he doesn't just say that his message would be a resounding gong, but that he himself would be a resounding gong. He doesn't just say his prophecy or his faith would be nothing, but he himself would be nothing. He doesn't just say that his giving or suffering would gain nothing, but that he himself would gain nothing. Friends, it doesn't matter who we are, it doesn't matter what we do, No matter how great and wonderful, how impressive and exciting, how successful and effective, if we serve God without love, then there's really no point. We may as well not bother, for our efforts and even ourselves would be worthless in the sight of God. You see, my friends, it would be better for a 90-year-old widow to pray quietly for God's work in love than for a dynamic preacher to preach the most amazing sermon without love. It'd be better for a child to give a dollar out of their pocket money in love than for a businessman to give a million dollars without love. It'd be better for a new Christian to share the gospel with one friend in love than for a lifelong churchgoer to minister and be involved in the church all their days without love. And that's very sobering, isn't it? Because we've all served God with wrong motives, haven't we? We have all helped without love for those we were helping, given without loving those who we gave to, led without love for the ones we were leading, Served without loving the ones we were serving. And that's why we should ponder these words from 1 John chapter 3. It says, we know that... Clicker doesn't seem to be working. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Friends, love is not an optional extra. Something that, that some believers have and others don't. It's a natural response to the love first shown to us by our God. It's at the very heart of how we respond to him and serve him. And my friends, its absence cannot be flimsily excused. But as we consider Paul's words, let's also flip them around for a moment. Imagine what the church would be like if every single one of us did serve God out of selfless love. Imagine if we deeply loved each other in every ministry, in every act of service, in every interaction. Imagine if we deeply loved every person in this body of Christ and every lost soul who God would put across our path. Surely that would be truly amazing, wonderful and beautiful. Surely that would be the definition of a healthy church as every member uses their gifts not driven by selfish ambition but by a genuine care and affection for each other. Surely, my friends, that would be the most excellent way. Friends, in these verses, Paul shows us the absolute supremacy of love. But now you might wonder, what does that really look like? How would I display such love in my life and my ministry? Well, that brings us to our second point, the essential character of love. We find that in verses 4 to 7. Here Paul tells us no less than 15 things which help us to understand what true love really is. And they're really not that complicated, are they? but yet they're deeply profound. So instead of explaining each one of them further, on this occasion, I'm going to invite you to just take some time to dwell on each of these words and these phrases. And as you dwell on them, I want to urge you to apply them to yourself, not to others, to yourself. Consider how the Lord would want us to respond in the way we serve, In the way we treat others in this church and in our lives. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to make this the true attitude of our hearts. My friends, the Lord says, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Congregation, isn't this exactly the kind of love that our Lord Jesus has lavished upon us as He even gave His own life for us on that cross? And isn't this exactly the kind of love that we as as redeemed people should find living in our own hearts and shining out in our own lives? So my friends, let's ask the Lord to forgive our many, many failings And instead to take hold of us and to transform us and to renew us in his loving image. Let us ask the Lord to help us to embrace the essential character of love. There's one more thing that Paul teaches us in this chapter. He's shown us the absolute supremacy of love and the essential character of love. But finally there is the enduring relevance of love and this is in verses 8 to 13. I don't have time to go into great detail but let me briefly outline Paul's argument. What he does here is he reminds us my friends that spiritual gifts are actually temporary. Now don't get me wrong, he's not saying that they're unnecessary or that they're unimportant, quite the opposite. But what he's saying is that spiritual gifts are given to us here in the church specifically for this current age. Because you see, we're still living in a sinful world where many, many people don't know the good news of Jesus and where even we ourselves have so much to learn. We're still living in a state of separation from our God. But Paul says, a time is coming when that will no longer be the case. And when that time comes, then spiritual gifts will be obsolete. He says, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. Paul's point is that spiritual gifts are not unimportant, but they are temporary. Because, my friends, when our Lord Jesus returns, all these things will pass away. We will no longer need them because we will finally see our God in all of His glory and our knowledge will be complete and there will no longer be any struggle or pain, or need. But yet, Paul says, love will continue. It will never pass away. And so he opens this final section saying, love never fails. And he closes it saying, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Spiritual gifts will cease, but yet this glorious virtue that stands behind them will not. For love is at the very heart of the Christian faith and the very heart of eternal life. For surely that's what heaven will be, a place where finally we will experience the perfect and unhindered love of God and his people. And so that reminds us, friends, that when we exhibit this kind of love, not perfectly, but genuinely, in our lives here today, and here in our church, that we're actually experiencing a small taste of heaven on earth. And doesn't that help us to understand why this is so important? When we love one another... Then we're actually experiencing the beginnings of eternal life. And so, friends, we should never, ever forget the enduring relevance of love. So, my brothers and my sisters in Christ, as we near the end, I'd like to ask you now to just take a moment to think about the real ways that you are serving in the body of Christ. Are you a leader? a teacher, a helper? Are you called to evangelise unbelievers or to encourage believers? Are your gifts in administration or giving, technology or prayer, mercy or hospitality? Do you serve up front or do you serve behind the scenes? Do you serve in organised ministry or do you serve in daily life? And as you're thinking about the things that you do, the different ways that you seek to serve the Lord, I invite you to consider why it is that you do what you do. What really motivates you to serve? Is it done out of love? Or perhaps you've discovered, just as I have, that this is not always the case. For we're so utterly human, And constantly tempted to do good things for wrong reasons. But you know my friends when we're serving with selfish motives that's when we resist using our gifts to their full extent. We focus too much on our own needs and our own desires and our own pleasures and too little on the Lord who has saved us and his calling on our life. We're quick To limit our efforts, we're quick to say no. And my friends when we serve with selfish motives that's also when using our gifts becomes hard and frustrating. We find little joy or pleasure in the tasks that we are doing. We become annoyed at people and downhearted and we're so tempted to give up and throw in the towel. So what's the solution? Well, the answer isn't to stop serving, but rather to rethink the reasons why we do. And in this passage, my friends, we've been told in no uncertain terms that the right reason is love. It all begins with love for the Lord. If we truly know and and cherish in our own hearts what He has done for us, the way that He has loved us, Despite our unworthiness and a great sacrifice to himself, a sacrifice we will never even comprehend, a love he has lavished on us so that we can be abundantly and eternally blessed, well then surely the rest will follow. The Lord's love for us compels us to love humanity, people made in his image, And yet heading for a godless eternity if they do not turn to Jesus Christ. Surely our own salvation drives us to want others to be saved, to be forgiven, to know the Lord and to experience his peace and his purpose and his hope in their lives. And surely, my friends, that will then also lead us to love each other here in the church as we recognise that we're not just a bunch of people. No, my friends, we are the very gathering of those who are eternally saved. We will treasure this precious bond which we share and we will increase in heartfelt affection for each other as we rejoice with those who rejoice and as we mourn with those who mourn and as we long more than anything else For each other's spiritual and eternal well-being. Loving God, loving our community, loving our church, sounds like a great vision, doesn't it? But may it be more than just words up on the foyer wall, may it be a deep-seated desire of our very hearts and our souls. Friends, let's ask the Lord to so fill us with his love that it might truly overflow into all the ways that we serve him. Let us be willing to assess our own attitudes and our own motivations. And if we realise that they are self-focused, to ask the Lord to refocus us once again. And my friends, let us truly strive here at Riverbank together to be a people of love. Let's pray. Our almighty God and loving Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonder of our salvation and for calling us together to be the very body of Christ. And thank you for equipping us, every single one of us, with gifts of your Holy Spirit, so that we can serve you together in this world. But Lord you've reminded us today that when we serve we need to consider the reasons why we do. And Father we need to confess before you now that far too often we have used our own gifts with selfish motives and so we seek your forgiveness here and now. Lord please wash away the stain of our own relentless self-centeredness and release us from its power. And Lord, we pray, please convict us by your word this day. Father, help us to truly know what it means to serve you and to build up the body of Christ in love. Please fill us with an ever deeper understanding of the love that you have lavished on us and fill us with an ever deeper affection and care and compassion for the lost and for each other. Lord, help us to think about all our brothers and sisters in this place, and to think about them in love. Lord, work in us by your Holy Spirit. Help us to seek the welfare of others, and most of all, their spiritual welfare even when it comes at sacrifice to ourselves. And Lord God Almighty, as we serve you in the days and the weeks and the months ahead, we pray please cause us to stop and to ask ourselves, am I doing this out of love? And as we do so, may these things grow in us more and more. Lord, may we grow as an entire church, seeking to honour you, not just in the things that we do, but in the attitudes that lie behind the things that we do. Father, please give us pure hearts and a deep longing for the blessing of others in every circumstance. And Father, we pray that the, Lord, that the world might truly know that we are Christians by our love. Amen.